My world is less. My home is contracting. It is retreating. The land is imprisoned by lines. Lines drawn by men who live by lines. Lines that grow and move and creep closer and closer. Taking from the all and giving to the one. My world is less. I was once one of many. We were strong, but not strong enough. Our strength lacked the cruelty that brought the borders, the cruelty that brought death, the cruelty that struck down the men born before me. Some of these men were still boys, but boys serve as men when days pulse with death. My world is less. The sun no longer warms me. The breeze no longer cools. Where once was life, now lies sorrow. The rhythm of my people has crumbled to a single beat. We do not follow the seasons. We do not walk the trail that our mothers and fathers walked before. We sit and wait, hoping that today's darkness does not grow. We tried to hold on, both to ourselves and to our land, but they pushed and grinned and promised with threats and threatened with promise until my family and their families gathered by the river lodgepole. We waved white flags both before and on that day, but we were seen as grass, then thorn than weed and they came to rip at us roots and all I cannot tell you how I live I should not have lived far more died than saw the next day even my chief and his love fell pierced in the back as they ran from the massacre and this day this death repeated both before and after. But here I am, and I hate the sun just as I fear tomorrow's. I do not wish to see what my life has become. My blood no longer sings. It burns and pleads to be set free. But still a piece of my people rests within me. The duty of the all to provide and protect and here you are my infant daughter my weeping raven unknowing of what we've lost blind to all that is now less I will not forsake your protection but I am lost to what protection now means do I tell you of what was or do I raise you for what will be Will you become more like my mother or the mother of those that killed us? Or do I spare you from becoming either? Because either is less, my beautiful girl. The world is less. From WBZ Chicago and a place beyond time, this is Pleasure Town. 
Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built their dream. A town where happiness was the main objective. But, as history has shown, death catches up to everyone. So stand ready and join us as we return to Pleasure Town. Hello, world. Didn't you say that already? Treading tired ground's nothing new for us. Yeah, true. Seems to be all we do. That's the secret about the afterlife they don't tell you in church. It's a whole lot of nothing. The tales we've shared at Pleasure Town thus far formed a story. One of good and evil, love and loss, certainty and doubt. But there's always two sides to every story. Maybe more. A lot more, my friend. And we would be remiss to not share as liberally as Pleasure Town shared its drink. Also, in order for you to understand the full tragedy of our town's demise, you need to know all that led up to it. You already know the stories of the shaman and Angie, Ma Barker and the doctor. But as dear as they are, there are other stories of equal importance. Folk you have yet to meet and... Others who had a part in stories you've heard. Like that Rudd fella. Made pals with Shaman John. But the man had a whole life of his own. And so I say to the man, golly, a six-shooter? I'm more of a one-shooter myself. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, and good night. Boy, I, I tell you, there's something about that limelight burning at the back of the house that makes people go crazy. Even on the nights when I wasn't that damn good. You put me up on a stage. That lime hissing hot as blazes. And people just about lost their minds. It helps that I closed the show. Everybody half drunk at least. It helps that it was my name on top of the banners. Like every dumb set of eyes in the place. Just waiting to stick them on my big dumb face. Just waiting to chuck their last bit of energy everything they'd been saving up right at me in the early days I'd do everything I could throwing that energy right back at them I would milk every last drop listening to the crowd's breath just as hard as I could to time every move every joke and gesture absolutely perfect used to be Those folks, their applause like a lightning bolt straight through my chest. And if I didn't get it right, hell, I'd drink myself stupid cursing my own name. One night I cracked myself over the head with my own boot for getting the words wrong in a big number. Like one of those Catholic monks whipping himself, I guess. Pretty stupid. 
The extra makeup I had to wear for a week to cover up the purple goose egg was punishment enough. Now, suffice it to say, one can only carry on like that for so long. The excitement fades some. You learn to be forgiving yourself when you screw up, and then one day, the show becomes so built into your bones, you couldn't screw it up if you wanted to. Hell, by the end of the first year of touring, I stopped coming up with new material altogether. And it kept working. I kept getting paid. Why mess with a good thing? When people would ask about what it was like being a stage performer, I always likened it to being a boy when your father or somebody teaches you how to rope steer. That lasso, at first, so awkward in your hands you could barely even toss the damn thing, let alone loop it around anything. That first big payoff. When you finally hear that dull swap against the fence post. Damn it, it's like Christmas morning. And then you work to get better at it. And feel that thrill as you hit moving targets, then full-size steer, then, then blindfolded. And then one day, roping cattle is just your goddamn job. You forget how much work went in and how much you used to love it. My job was better than most, but still. It was just my goddamn job. Not to say I didn't love it. But anyhow. And so I say to the man, I ain't never seen a cactus in a dress. And he says, well, you've never met my wife. (laughs) Meeting women was always easy on the road, even for an average mutt like me. Not tall or especially handsome, just regular old forgettable. When you're up there under that light, though, it's only natural that people want to be next to you. Maybe hoping that some of that talent rubs off, or maybe just for the story. All that saved-up energy has to get spent somewhere. And once it's your name on top of the banner, once it's your big, dumb face doing the big number, hell, you ain't even got to meet women anymore because they're too busy meeting you. Eventually, I'd begin scouting the crowd before I went on, picking the one I wanted, and telling one of the boys to bring her backstage after the show. It worked more often than it didn't. Once that grew tiresome, I'd start searching the audience for the prettiest woman who was already in there with a fella, and I'll be goddamned if I didn't just stare right at her during the whole show, tossing little winks her way during the ballads. Sure enough, by daybreak, she'd be waking up with my makeup on her face. I then started making real lofty goals, like an artillery list. A kick-line girl, the mayor's wife, the preacher's daughter. Sometimes I'd even go after the toughest-looking man in the crowd just to see if I could. Some leatherneck cowboy with anvils for hands is willing to meet you around the barn. You know you're doing something right. All of it. Again. Just rope and steer. Everybody's scared of the Irish. They're coming to take our jobs. I say let them. Better that than what we did to the Indians. 
But anyway, I know what you're here for. The big how-do-you-end-up-here story. Well, the gist of it is, it ain't even that big of a story. Most nights, I'd walk off stage and there'd be someone waiting for me in the dressing room, whether I orchestrated the thing or not. On the night in question, I walked backstage and sure enough, the most beautiful woman I had ever seen is just sitting there, staring at me. And I don't mean beautiful like kick line beautiful. I'm talking the type of woman famous artists spend months sticking to a canvas. Aristocrat beautiful. The type even I wouldn't have tried to pick up out of a crowd. Elizabeth. She had this long neck and curls about her face like a porcelain doll. She sat straight upright, her ankles crossed just perfect. Even one of those fancy silk fans in her hands. Quite the show, clown. I can tell she's just poking at me by the half-smile crawling across her face. And you know what I said next? Nothing. Not a damn thing. Hmm. Must have been a full minute before she stood up, crossed the room, and laid a kiss right on me, delicate as you could close the lid on a coffin. Lightning in my chest, sliver in my heel. It's all there again. Do you think you can ever love a woman as much as you do that stage? She kissed me again before I even got a chance to answer. With her lips pressed against mine, I get to thinking. Every lovely woman I've known zipping past me like a flip book, so many of them, the type of man might walk off a cliff for. And in the hanging moment of the kiss, I asked how many chances at a better life one man gets. I knew soon enough they'd start bringing in younger performers, ones that could sing better, dance longer. My name would start gradually slipping down the banner until one day comes where I'd get pulled aside after a show and told my services were no longer needed. I'd seen it a dozen times. It occurred to me in that moment that maybe the big whatever up in the sky was winking at me right that very moment, putting Elizabeth there for me. An opportunity. One dusted with rouge and smelling of rose petals. Soon as I can think it, she pulled those velvet lips from mine and stared me dead in the eye wait. I muscled out my answer. I, I, uh, stammering like the village halfwit. I have been thinking it might be time for a change of scenery. I'm thinking I might could love you. But the words that filled my mouth had a discernible hollowness. It was just another lasso. Just rope and steer. Whatever it takes to snag them, reel them in, force their adoration. All those feelings I was feeling, they, they weren't for her, just for myself. Just the excitement of the big score. Elizabeth knew this too. She could see it in my eyes. That flicker of self-satisfaction. A woman like her wants to be desired. But all my wanting was reserved for me. So I removed her arms from around my neck, and as her face took on an expression of confusion and pain, I reached for my hat, turned towards the dressing room door, and just like that, 
quick as lime bursting against the torch. I was gone. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. Without a doubt, Pleasure Town was a haven for miscreants. And occasionally these degenerates would find themselves stuck in a sort of trouble. Trouble that was as thorny as bramble. Right. I will freely murder you fine passengers, should any of you choose the hero's path. <laughs> and kindly bear in mind that while I will merely shoot you, my brother likes to have his fun. Oh, I do. Oh, it's a fine day for Spart. Now, if the owner of this trunk will step forward... I never did know what the father meant when he said, breath of life... Every time he told the story of creation and the glory of the Lord God and all that shite. God did form a man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man did live. I know this much. When God formed me, it was with pure Doblin grime and horse piss. And he breathed into my holes the bone smoke of a charnel house. And I did live by weeping Christ. Shame. Ireland was grey stones and grey stairs, and a square of grey sky that floated just out of reach between the roofs and the clothes on the line. When you took a breath, you could taste English boot leather and your own blood in the air foul as it was, there was never enough air in my chest. Ma I only remember as a sort of tune, something leaking out of her bit by bit until she was all gone. The melody was my father's, an Englishman named Clayton who got her quick with me and a quicker with my brother Mud, and then escaped to his fat country and left us all to starve. I can't remember Ma ever feeding me. <laughs> me and Mud, we fed ourselves. Clayton, look at that bastard wiggle. Quick hands, me and Mud. Quicker than the rats. Put him on the fire before he's dead. The insides do roast lovely that way. If I was gutter muck and bone soot... Then Mud was worse. Mud was a cold one. Never wept him. Liked it when the things we ate squealed. Poor rat. Where have your eyes gone? Did Mud get in your eye? It weren't only food Mud liked to squeal. Jealous dogs who smelled our supper. A rich man's horse. Then, finally, a girl. She were five. <laughs> Did I love him? Aye. Bad clings to bad. I love him still. Despite it all. Five weeks in a ship's belly, me and mud. 
pressed together like dirty spoons. Pressed to others and others and others, all stink in a hope. I look around in the dark, and there is even less air in my chest than there was in Dublin, and I curse the feckin' breath of life while Mud finds his fun on the boat. When you have the same blood as another, when you live and die by the twenty nimble fingers you have together, there is only one life between you both. If he's damned, so you be damned. If he should be as good as a dead man in Dublin for what he done to a girl, you join his death. You lace your fingers in his, and you run all the way to feckin' America. I was twenty, and he were less. Clayton, will you sing it to me? Will you be good on the boat? Let everyone alone. But it's weeks and weeks yet with these nasty squealers. Then I won't sing it. And just you try and sleep. Fine. No fun on the goddamn bout. If you sing it to me. Choking streets in New York, and a train car that we made ours. It went towards the sunset, so it was west. Three days when we come to a stop, and me and Mud leap out and run before anyone can find us. And I look around, and blue, and a burnt red ground like an open heart, and nothing between me and the edge of the earth but the sunlight. I breathe it. But I can't hold it in me. The clean of it all. Clayton. I'm shaken from it. No, mud's shaking me. I see buildings. Town's not far. Let's squeal something and eat it. He takes me hand. I walk with him. Soon there are houses. A street. People walking in it. I see a girl. She's walking towards me. And she's got nothing on but to smile. And white gloves on tiny hands that hold a pink parasol. Hello there. I know she ain't a horror by her smile. She smiles at the world like it's smiling back. She smiles at me and I'm gasping again. She's closer and closer and then she's there. And her white hand takes my face and her mouth breathes into mine. And there has never been air so clean put inside me. Shameless and gorgeous under God's eye, and no clothes. Her mouth goes away. Welcome to Pleasure Town. And then she's gone. And I'm undone. <laughs> Look at that sweet squealer. How did she taste? I hear the cold in his voice, and I grip his hand tighter. I see an open door, and I pull him inside. There's food all around, but we've got nothing to pay for it with. And Mud's looking to have some fun, and he's off the boat, so there's no more promises to keep. And I'm gripping his hand so hard he's not smiling anymore. That's fine. 
as long as that sweet, smiling thing that kissed me gets where she's going. Help you too? The store's man is eyeing us, and good reason. We look like the hungry thieves we are. But he's smiling as well, and I wonder where I am that so many people can smile and mean it. Looking for work? I say yes, because before you steal, it helps to know the place. He laughs and calls, Goldie? A woman comes, and this one I understand. Goldie. She sees us, and she can smell the rats I've ate. She smiles, and I smell the breath of rot. Blue, sticky indulgence as she talks to us slow. You're new. Names are Clayton and Mud. Looking for work. Clayton? And she stares at me like she knows something. She smiles. All smart. The cat-eyed bitch. Knew what Clayton wants. He had good hands. You need work. Let's see if you got good hands, too. She feeds us and sends us back down the street. The job's easy enough. A train at noon. A rich man's cargo. Trunk bearing the initials W-F-I-I-I. With treasures untold from the far east. Crack it gentle. Careful with what's inside. Bring it to Goldie. Bulger sells it. Easy. Squealers. But Mud's brain's got fleas crawling and biting. Look at them all. Been weeks, Clayton. I want to squeal. After the job, I say. I hold his hand. But I'm breathing the air again. I feel my black lungs slough off Dublin and rats and all things Clayton. With every up down on my chest. I taste that girl. Something's wrong with me. But the job waits. <laughs> oh, it's a fine day for sport. Now, if the owner of this trunk will step forward. I'm not the owner, but I'm charged with this safe passage. And I'll see to it. You both are hanged for this. Open it and be quick about it. Do you trash even know who Mr. Featherbone is? I know that one of your eyes won't open tomorrow. Do you want it that way permanent? No. Please. <gasps> Have you ever seen a knife so fine? Would you like a closer look, you bastard? Mud. You can work a lock with no eyes, can't you? Mud. For Christ's sake, there's no need. Aye, but there's joy. Work the lock, you gal. You'll regret this. That I promise you. And the way he says it, he don't mean the usual way a rich man talks to a thief. He talks like a priest in confession. He talks like he knows what awaits us in the hereafter. I go cold because, all sudden-like, my heart says, Don't open it. I don't want to know what's inside. But his fat hands are pawing with the ring of his keys. And then the lock's turned, and the lid creaks. I smell the inside before I see it. Perfumes like rose and gold dust. I look, and there's jars. And jars, and jars, and jars, all with a shiny mystery to them. And then, a coat? 
second purple lady's coat. Mud laughs and grabs it, twirls it around <laughs> down the aisle. Behold my fine wares. What hard you buy this for, kind sir? Well, hello there. He's looking at someone. I like your parasol. Thank you. He's looking at her. My sweet desert girl. He's thinking about how she'll taste. You need a good parasol if you're going to walk under the sun in the altogether. Mud. Would you care to open your parasol and show it to me? Mud. And what was that? A feckin' warning. I see. He turns back and we grab the chest. The girl's eyes are on me, and I look down for shame. Me and Mud, we make it to the end of the car quick. There's horses waiting at the bin, but we have a jump and a tumble before then. We look out the door at the burned desert. What life are we to make here? There's something in this place that's beyond what I can pinch and take with my fingers. I want it. And I know Mud can't ever understand that. For him, it's only his hands and the things squirming in them. He'll only dirty what's here. Which means I can't have it. Clayton. I turn. Mud's looking at me. You didn't let me have any fun. We move at the same time. I'll sing it to you, and you'll sleep. It hurts. Mud's knife in my lungs. But I think about the clean I had in me today. I grip mud like I can make our two hands one. I can fall, and he can fall with me. I can do that much good. The wheels will do the work. I close my eyes. Pull that mud, and I'm alone in the air. My hands empty. He let go. Before the wheels take me, I see him. He's laughing. And then it hurts. And then it's dark. And then I'm back. But not back, just around, like the taste of cordite after a bomb. I follow mud. There's nowhere else for me to go. Mud makes it back to the store with the goods. I follow just behind him, though he doesn't see. Boulder's got the coat, and he's happy. Mud's laughing, and Boulder don't like that, I can tell. Where's your sister? She stayed on the train. Gone on, Clay. He laughs more, because his hands is untied for the first time in his whole life. Though I am smoke in memory, I shudder. And this was all that was in the chest. That's it? Just uh, the pretty scents and those jars and that coat. I swear on my sister's life. Well, all right then. Welcome to Pleasure Town, Mud. 
Anything goes. As long as you don't infringe on a neighbor. Goldie. She smiles, all peaceful like flowers on a windowsill. Bolger, he puts the coat on a hook. It is pretty, and a pretty lady will buy it. Bolger holds money out to Mud. Keep it. I take the things I eat with my own two hands. But, uh, if you don't mind, tell me the name of that fine, sweet girl with the pink parasol. That'll be Victoria. Quite the lady's lady. She'll be back in a few days, I imagine. (laughs) I wonder sometimes, here where there's no breath, whether there was as much air in Pleasure Town as there seemed, if it was as clean as it seemed. Then I shut it away. It doesn't matter anymore. I tell God, it is a relief not breathing. I think of that girl. Her breath stretches out into my eternity. And I wish I was not done. I think, I know there's doom and darkness coming to the desert. I follow my brother through the streets and pray for power of a sort. I can't save him, but I can ease his passing. The others that'll follow him follow and fall just like dominoes. Well, they're on their own. I understand it now. The breath of life. I had it once. They breathe it in Pleasure Town, but not for long. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. Truth be told, I'm sorry I didn't get to spend time with Clayton. Me too, but likely for very different reasons. If you know what I mean. <sighs> but in all seriousness, poor Lass had no idea her death was the spark that lit a fuse. She did once she died, though. And she had to watch all those poor souls follow her over. Pleasure Town listeners, this is Emily Modaff, associate producer, and I'm so excited that you just listened to our first episode of season two. Let us know how you liked it on Facebook, Twitter, or better yet, leave us a rate and review on iTunes. As always, I need to thank the crew that made this episode possible. This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Aaron Cahoe, J.W. Basillo, and Caitlin Parrish. It was performed by Brad Helm, Van Wilson, Abigail Phelps, Emily Modaff, Shane Kenyon, Kelsey Huff, Dan Kerr, and Lee Russell. When God formed sound guru Joe Dassault, it was with pure Dublin grime and horse piss. Sound assistance by Brad Helm and Colleen Pelassier. Our executive producers are Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahoe. Our associate producer is me, Emily Modaff, and our interns are Joe Courtney, Brady Guy, Tucker Lemons, Lizzie Seidenstricker, and Colin Wright. 
Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows like Nerdette Spoils Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal at wbez.org slash podcasts. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at PleasureTownShow.com. Until next time.